You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 424, 424. Yes, you heard that right. We are a quarter of the way already to episode 500, which is exciting to me personally. But today is Tuesday, July 5th, 2022. Yesterday being the 246th birthday of the United States of America. It is, of course, apt for me to suggest you go back and listen to yesterday's episode, even though yesterday was July 4th. And yesterday's episode was about July 4th with any luck and by God's grace. Yesterday's podcast episode is not outdated just because today is not July 4th. In fact, if you didn't catch yesterday's episode, I talked a little bit about historians thinking today and now in our day. And I say that figuratively speaking, not literally and narrowly. Uh, A lot of historians think that the Declaration of Independence was actually signed August 2nd, 1776. So depending on how you look at it, if we want to be revisionists, you could say that I'm a month ahead of the actual anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, I won't say that. I'm just suggesting it's uh, maybe something you could tell yourself if you're trying to reason out why yesterday's episode might still be relevant and timely and uh, ahead of time. I am either really late or I am a month ahead of time, roughly speaking. But in any event, today's episode is not about the 4th of July specifically. Of course, I hope that today's episode it picks up in some measure where we left off yesterday and in the previous 423 episodes of this podcast because that is the tagline. I want to talk about everything. And uh, as a funny aside, before we get into some of the meat and potatoes, I uh, had a funny thought yesterday while I was folding laundry and we were getting ready for our guests to come over and enjoy some hamburgers and hot dogs and cherry pie and cookies. We had my dad and my brother and my sister-in-law and my nephew And our neighbors, two houses down, the Chavez's, come over about noon. And before that, again, as I say, we were getting ready, getting the house cleaned up. I was working on some laundry. And I was thinking to myself, it could be fun to come up with a promotional for the podcast and to post it to social media, just see if people share it or like it or think it's funny. I would at least be amused to generate it. I think it could be fun to make it, Uh, even if I'm the only one who's tickled and everybody else kind of rolls their eyes or scrolls on by, whatever. Uh, But some play off of the fact that my last name is Mullet. And uh, it could be kind of like those billboards you'll see sometimes or you used to see back in the day where a local radio station would advertise itself and uh, have some way of getting your attention. Well, mine could be that kid with the trophy and a mullet hairdo, and the meme, which I get a kick out of, again, because my last name is Mullet, as just says, that's a great question. I'll have to mull it over. Uh, and of course, it's a play off of his having the mullet haircut. And of course, he's got just a very placid uh, grin on his face, almost a little bit of a Mona Lisa smile, actually, uh, which makes it all the more funny because you can imagine him saying it, even though he probably didn't say it, uh, and his getting a kick out of you rolling your eyes. And that's my sense of humor. So I'm obviously amused. And uh, we'll see. We'll see if I have the time and can sustain the amusement enough to generate the meme uh, to promote the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. But in any event, I'm going to read for you the lyrics to the Leonard Skinnerd song, Simple Man. And I really like this song. I asked my wife on the front end if I should sing it 
And she said, no, you should probably just read it. Not to say I couldn't sing it, but I will abide by her advice and counsel, and I will control myself. And I'll just read for you the lyrics, because I want to talk about being simple and this song, and use this as a jumping off point for the broader topic. So, from the top, Mama told me when I was young, come sit beside me, my only son, and listen closely to what I say, and if you do this, it'll help you some sunny day. Oh, yeah. Oh, take your time. Don't live too fast. Troubles will come, and they will pass. Go find a woman, yeah, and you'll find love. And don't forget, son, there is someone up above. And be a simple kind of man. Oh, be something you love and understand. Baby, be a simple kind of man. Oh, won't you do this for me, son, if you can. Forget your lust for the rich man's gold. All that you need is in your soul. And you can do this, oh, babe, if you try. All that I want for you, my son, is to be satisfied. And be a simple kind of man. Oh, be something you love and understand. Baby, be a simple kind of man. Oh, won't you do this for me, son, if you can. Oh, yes, I will. Oh, don't you worry. You'll find yourself. Follow your heart and nothing else. And you can do this, oh, babe, if you try. All that I want for you, my son, is to be satisfied. And be a simple kind of man. Oh, be something you love and understand. Baby, be a simple kind of man. Oh, won't you do this for me, son, if you can and baby, be a simple, real simple man. I'll be something you love and understand. Baby, be a simple kind of man. And I quote. And of course, I'm not doing it justice. And that's half the point, I guess, to reading it straight. <laughs> uh, I left out the uh, air guitar solo, obviously. You were missing it, weren't you? Uh, but... Those are the lyrics to the Leonard Skinner song, and I personally enjoy this song. I think it's evocative and emotional, and it uh, also might be bad advice, actually. Can I say that? Can I say that this might be not something to build your life off of? I mean, maybe, right? Just... Bear with me. Is it possible that maybe, just maybe, we need a little more to go on? This could be a start, but if it's only a start and also the in-between and also the finish that uh, we have missed out, I mean, consider some of the advice here. My mama told me when I was young, if you do this, it'll help you. Take your time. Okay, that's good advice. Troubles will come and pass. So they'll come and go. It's not always going to be great, but go find a woman. Yeah. And you'll find love. Yeah. Okay. You go find a woman and you'll find love. Well, is that all? Uh, what, do, what do I, what do I do with her when I find her? Well, you'll figure it out. Well, yeah, but mom, where's dad? I need to talk with dad. <laughs> You know, I, I'm reminded of uh, dogs that chase cars and the question of what are they supposed to do when they catch one, right? Go find a woman. Yeah, and you'll find love. As a father, giving advice to my sons, I would say, I pray for you to find a godly woman. If she is beautiful and sweet and a good cook and able to keep house, and she is kind to children, and attentive, and not selfish, and not conceited, and not superficial. If she reads, and is diligent, and thoughtful, and likes to have conversation with you about a broad range of subjects, and again, if she loves the Lord, and she's not spoken for, you should work to create a home where, by God's grace, you could ask her to be your wife, and you should have children, and 
that's what you should do, right? That's love, and that's what you would do when you find a woman. Don't just find any woman. She should have some quality, and also you should have some quality. And if you have quality and she has quality, and you're serving the good Lord, and not just forgetting or not forgetting that there's someone up above. No, there's a God who is not the unknown God when we read the scriptures. So study the scriptures, find a woman who will also study the scriptures with you and on her own and follow the instructions that God has left us with and commit yourself to his promises and his purposes for your life as stated in his word, be led by his spirit. And together, there is something to go on. There is something to go on. But moving on, be a simple kind of man. Be something you love and understand. Well, what's that about, right? Don't be someone you won't respect. That's maybe more to the point. You should be able to look yourself in the mirror and not be disgusted by what you see. There's good advice, if that's what you're getting at here. Don't be hiding from the mirror because you make sketchy life choices that you can't stand behind. That's good advice if that's what you're getting at. Also, forget your lust for the rich man's gold. But all that you need is in your soul. That's not sound advice. All that you need is in Christ, actually. And do not lust for the rich man's gold, but don't forget your lust. Actually, you should repent of it. And then you should choose something that is better, like working and aspiring to live a quiet life, working with your hands, minding your own business, so that you can maintain a good reputation with outsiders and depend on no one and have a good testimony. And again, a good conscience. That would be, I think, more that needs to be said here as a father speaking to my sons. Also, again, too, Leonard Skittered, where was your dad? Here's the advice your mother gave you when you were young and was no one giving you advice as you got older? Did you only get advice when you were young? And also, where was your dad? Where's the song written about the advice that your dad gave you? Maybe you wrote that song, but it's not as popular because more of us apparently can relate to our mothers having given us advice like this when we were very young. And then when we were older, we didn't have more to go on. We didn't have more substance to go on, which is very unfortunate. But when I look at my children, my sons especially, yes, you could do this if you try, oh babe. You could forget your lust for the rich man's gold, and you could conclude that all you need is in your soul. But that would be unwise, actually. That is not true, and you will find yourself disappointed and misled. If you conclude that and say no more, and if no one else says anything more than that to you, all that you need is not in your soul. All that you need is in Christ, and you need Christ in your soul and reviving your soul and giving you life and taking out your heart of stone and putting in you a heart of flesh. That's what you need. You don't need to find yourself except you need to find yourself in Christ. You need to find Christ and be found in him. Follow your heart and nothing else? That's terrible advice, actually. That's awful advice, if you think about it. Follow your heart and nothing else? Well, what if your heart is telling you to be a jerk? What if your heart is telling you to be a drunk and a druggie and lazy and superficial and simple-minded? That is not good advice. And if that would satisfy you, you ought not to be satisfied by that. I want you to be satisfied by what is good. Blessed is the man, and what does the rest say in Psalms? What is the rest? If we're too simple, we don't know the rest. We're content and we're satisfied to just know that some men sometimes are blessed and no more. But we need to know more. Now, in other news, <laughs> dovetailing off of this, springboarding off of this, I did a quick word search and actually... The thought occurred to me over the weekend as I was talking with my son. He was asking me some advice on studying to prepare for DTC this week, discipleship training camp. 
He was asking me some advice on what to read, what verses to read, which cause denominations to split and separate. And I said, well, just read the whole Bible. (laughs) I think he was expecting a short list of verses that various denominations disagree about. But no, I'm sorry. Sorry to break it to you, but the whole thing, (laughs) you got to read the whole thing. You should start now. Read the whole thing. Uh, If you wanted to start from Genesis and work your way all the way through, I think it would be helpful for you to understand that there are different kinds of literature and to understand the role of these different kinds of literature within the whole. Or if you wanted to start in the Gospels, start with the Gospel of John. Read the Gospel of John. And also, if you want the narrative, here's Genesis. And read Genesis. And I would definitely delve into some of the other historical Old Testament books, like Exodus, like Joshua and Judges, like First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, also Esther, also Daniel after a fashion, depending on how you think of it. Daniel is historical, definitely has some important history in it, but read all four of the Gospels, but I personally find the most encouragement in the Gospel of John and read the book of Acts. And that's a great start to give you the overall narrative. But read the whole thing. But I was thinking to myself about some of the books I was pulling off the shelf and handing to him and how we have a topical Bible that actually I think rightly belongs to my dad, but somehow it ended up on my shelf, I think by accident, but I don't think he minds. But you can open up and you can look at a certain topic and all of the references throughout the scriptures for that topic. And then you can use your Bible to flip through those verses and read them and study the topic accordingly. But when I was a kid, my dad received a Bible device. It was kind of a digital Bible, but it was very primitive, like the old flip phones where you had a little keyboard and you could type in words that you were trying to search and it would give you the references and you could cycle through them. But it was almost like a calculator type display, not very high resolution, very, very primitive. But he would do word searches in the Bible using that and used it for a great many years. Well, now my setup actually right this moment is three monitors. The center one, I have my recording software up, Audacity is up. And then on the right-hand screen, I've got my Anchor FM dashboard uh, episodes listed with titles, length, plays, date published. And then on my left-hand screen, the one that is more front and center when I'm facing my microphone, I have BibleGateway.com up and I can pick any translation I want and I can do a word search. And I typed in the word simple. What does that yield? And actually, my dad, I think, led me well. He set a good example in this by doing this when I was a kid growing up. I just use more updated tools to do the same thing. And back in the day, men probably made a better habit of just reading cover to cover their Bibles. And they know by heart where those references are because they've read the Bible several times. But for my part, maybe this technology has helped me and maybe in some ways it has made me lazier or it's just kept me from developing in certain ways that our ancestors developed when they didn't have these aids, which can be as much a handicap as a help. But if you search simple on BibleGateway.com in the ESV, English Standard Version, which is my preferred version, you get 19 results. And the first of those is from Proverbs 8.5. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Ouch. Ouch, 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 ouch. It's like stepping on a sharp rock. Ouch. Job 5.2 is the next one. Surely vexation kills the fool, 
and jealousy slays the simple. Ouch. Vexation kills the fool. What is vexation? What is vexation? Now, there's a unfamiliar word for many. What does it mean to be vexed? Well, to be vexed is to be frustrated, annoyed, worried, or of a problem or issue, difficult and much debated, problematic. So it's either the feeling of frustration or it is the cause of your frustration. So Job 5.2 says, vexation kills the fool. He gets frustrated and that is just game over, man. Jealousy slays the simple. Well, why does he get that? And I don't. Yep, here we go. Could I suggest a more robust response to wanting what someone else has would be to get your own. (laughs) You could do well also if you spent less time griping and complaining and more time investing yourself in profitable pursuit of your own right. In all toil, there is a profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty, especially when the mere talk is just whining, is just complaining. What are you going to do about it? Boy, howdy, I'd really like a car. Okay. You think one's going to fall out of the sky? Because if it does, don't think you're going to want that car. Don't think you're going to want to be standing too close to it either when it falls out of the sky. So maybe go out and work and save your money and buy a car. There's an idea. Psalm 19.7, the law of Yahweh is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. Uh, Do you get the impression from this that perhaps God does not desire us to remain simple? And also that something of an opposite of being a simple man is being a wise man. Just a thought. Psalm 116.6. Yahweh preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Yahweh preserves the simple. And based on the second half of this verse, one might say that the author is admitting, hey, I was simple, I was foolish, and God preserved me. He, if you will, saved me from myself. He spared me the consequences of my folly and my simplicity. He saved me from my foolishness. Psalm 119, 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. This, of course, is speaking to God. God's words give light, without which we're in the dark, which is to say we're ignorant, which is to say we can't tell where we're at or where we're going or what we're doing. You got to have work lights when you're doing work in the dark. And the unfolding of God's words gives us that light. It imparts understanding to the simple, and that is to the end of being able to move and live and have our being. Proverbs 1.4, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. If you haven't noticed, young people typically need instruction. And when I say typically, I mean always need instruction. And our instruction to young people should not be to stay simple. Rather, they are already simple and we should give them instruction so that they become wise, not so that they stay simple, but so that they become wise, so they develop discernment, so that they get not just knowledge, but yes, knowledge, and also understanding. Proverbs one twenty-two, same chapter. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge? That is not nice, not very nice. Author of Proverbs, why do you vex us so? Don't you know that vexation kills the fool? We are jealous of your wisdom. Don't you know that jealousy slays the simple? How then can you ask us how long? 
We will love being simple. Ah, <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> but he asks the question. He doesn't ask the question, I don't think, in a mean-spiritedness, but to provoke them, to get them off dead center, to encourage them after a fashion. It might not be the kind of encouragement that we're always used to in our day and age where we are so flattered. We are given so many therapies for our ego, for our self-esteem, but this is a kind of encouragement, if you will, since we love encouragement so much. It's the encouragement to be correct when we are not correct, to be corrected when we need correction, to grow and to mature when we have kept on like children and not in a good way, not in an innocent way, but in an ignorant way. Proverbs 1.32, same chapter. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. For more information on this, go back to yesterday's episode about July 4, 1776, and where we're at as a country, in my view. The simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. We are very complacent. In fact, we are very complacent in the face of our own undoing as a country. And have we stopped to think that we are on this ship of state? This is why the blog that my cousins and I started years ago was called On the Rocks, because we didn't want the ship of state to be dashed on the rocks. But if everyone is bound and determined to high center and crash the ship into the rocks, despite the warnings unheeded, because they're simple. Uh, at least we did our part. What can you do? What What can you say? I <laughs> tried to warn you, but you didn't want to hear it. And uh, I guess you get what you get then. Proverbs 7.7. 7. There's a whole lot of Proverbs on the simple, by the way. And I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Don't be that guy. That's the pro tip from Proverbs. Don't be that guy, the young man lacking sense. Proverbs 8.5. Oh, simple ones, learn prudence. Oh, fools, learn sense. So here again, don't be the young man lacking sense. Don't be an old man lacking sense. Don't be a young woman or an old woman lacking sense. Just learn sense. Don't be foolish. Learn prudence. Don't be simple. Here again, wisdom, prudence, presented as in contrast to being simple in the biblical sense. Proverbs 9.4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here to him who lacks sense. She says, what? Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Who is this referring to? Well, since this is Proverbs 9, 3 to 5, this is referring to wisdom. Do you know that wisdom is a woman? How about that? Wisdom is a woman. Now, folly is also a woman. Before anybody gets carried away, feminism, hold your horses. <laughs> yes, wisdom is a woman. So is folly. <laughs> Proverbs 9.1 beginning of that chapter. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here to him who lacks sense. She says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. That is great. Why is that great? Because wisdom is not just any woman. We could say, if we were a simple man, go find a woman. Oh, is she wisdom or is she folly? Well, it doesn't matter. Any woman will do. What's the difference? Well, you are a simple man, after all. But wisdom is not just any woman. Wisdom is a woman who has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. This woman works with her hands. She has slaughtered her beasts. Whoa! 
Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean she has slaughtered her beasts? You mean she killed them? Oh, yeah, that's kind of what it means. Like, they were alive, and then she murdered them. No, she didn't murder them. She killed them. She slaughtered them. There's a difference. She didn't murder them. They're not people. She slaughtered them. Why'd she do that? So she could turn them into meat to serve to simple people, to simple men. She has mixed her wine. Not grape juice, by the way. Not unfermented grape juice. She has also set her table. So she has young women, which is cool. She has young women that she sends out to announce, to advertise. But she works with her hands. She has built her house. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table. She knows that the way to a young man's heart is through his stomach. And she apparently really does believe in cooking things from scratch. I mean, she doesn't just make sure that the meat is fresh. She is actually going out and slaughtering the animal herself before she cooks it up for you. She is mixing the wine herself. She's not just going out and buying boxed wine. She is, she's got it, right? Oh, baby, she's got it. Now, by contrast, the way of folly, a little further down in Proverbs 9, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Which, by the way, to define our terms, Sheol is the grave. That is talking of death also. Verses 13 to 18. So this is not just, eh, yeah, different strokes for different folks. No, we're talking life and death. Being simple versus being wise, learning prudence, learning sense. It's a matter of life and death. Proverbs 14.15 The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. So sometimes, occasionally, with people who are very, very dry and they're good at keeping a straight face, I am gullible. I can be taken in sometimes. Like, for instance, one time at church on a Sunday morning, my buddy Roy Garcia and his lovely wife Susan were getting the coffee served to everyone. And I was talking with my friend Roy as I was getting a cup of coffee, saying, hey, thanks for taking care of coffee this morning. He says, oh yeah, that'll be five bucks. Just totally deadpan. And I hesitated for a moment and I started reaching for my wallet. He's like, I'm just kidding, man. Like, no, I'm, just, I'm joking. Like, oh, yeah, 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 yes, yes, you, you are. Uh-huh. Uh, the simple believes everything that he hears, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. You got to think about it. You're going to have to engage that gray matter the good Lord gave you between your ears. You've heard the phrase, uh, <laughs> shake what the good Lord gave you. Well, the good Lord didn't just give you that. He also gave you a brain. So what are you doing with it? Let's think holistically. Proverbs fourteen eighteen, The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. Now, I think here of having studied some, my Scottish ancestry, and realizing that at least according to some, and there may have been malice in the chronicling of these things by those who had a bias against and an animosity against the Scots, but it is said that the Scots were something of a backwards people prior to the Acts of Union. And if you read How the Scots Invented the Modern World by Arthur Herman, he talks uh, a lot about those Scots who embraced English learning and civilization and culture, and they actually pretty much beat the English at their own game. Uh, those who got with the program, they kept the best things about their Scottishness and took the best things from the English 
and became explorers and businessmen and adventurers and political leaders par excellence. They became very, very smart and very successful. And a part of this, I think, is because those men chose not to inherit folly and to not be conservative in a backwards reactionary sense, but to be conservative in the sense of let's conserve some of these good lessons which the English have had passed down. Let's conserve that as well as the best aspects of our own culture. Let's combine the two. And as such, the prudent, those who combine the best of all possible worlds, were crowned with knowledge. They were savvy. They were sophisticated. They were successful. Proverbs 19.25, strike a scoffer and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding and he will gain knowledge. Strike a scoffer. This is also part of why I think mockery sometimes is warranted. Not to get into that again, but I think sometimes mockery, if we are mocking those who are mockers themselves, can be helpful because those who are simple-minded, who are taken in or intimidated too easily, will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding, though, and he will gain knowledge. He will thank you for it, we read elsewhere in Proverbs. If you correct a wise man, he will become wiser still, and he is excited about that. He will shake your hand and appreciate it. But sometimes scoffers, mockers, those who sneer at what is good and true because they are simple and jealous and they're destroyed by vexation, they sometimes need struck. (laughs) You could say that's metaphorical or figurative, or you could say that's literal sometimes. Any way you slice it, the simple will learn prudence. And if you correct a man of understanding, say he wasn't a scoffer, say he wasn't simple, he will gain knowledge. So it's a win-win for those who are in the business of and open to understanding and learning more. Proverbs 20.19, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. And I pray to God that I am not that, a simple babbler. I want to talk about everything. God forbid that I am a simple babbler. But if so, I need to get knowledge and understanding and correct that and be wiser. Proverbs 21.11, when a scoffer is punished, the simple becomes wise. This is a parallel to Proverbs 19.25, two verses ago. When a wise man is instructed, he gains knowledge. Proverbs 22.3, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. And again, you can go back to yesterday's episode where I talk about where I think we're at as a country and what we should mean when we say, God bless America, when we celebrate our nation's founding, when we celebrate those things which are worth celebrating, we do well to repent of those things which are worth repenting of, which are sinful and wicked and foolish. The simple go on and suffer for it. We ought not to want simplicity in the biblical sense, and I would say also in the Leonard Skinner sense, although I do like the tune, it is a pleasant ditty. We ought not to be simple that way and suffer for it when we go on. Lastly, Proverbs 27, 12, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. And this is five chapters later, but it is word for word exactly the same as Proverbs 22, 3. And when we see repetition in the scriptures, we ought to recognize emphasis because what is being said is important. This is important. It was something so true and necessary and helpful that it is said twice, and it's worth reading both times. It is not redundant. It is important. So, 19 Bible results for simple from the English Standard Version. There they are. And, you know, I think to myself of years ago when Facebook first started, when I first created a Facebook account back in 2006, when Lauren and I were at Cedarville University, I remember being tickled that it wasn't MySpace. MySpace was the thing before Facebook and it was chaos and people had no sense of what colors went well together and 
what fonts were appropriate at what sizes. And it was just the Wild West. And Facebook, meanwhile, was clean, simple, straightforward. And you could get right down to the business of expressing yourself, getting to know people, whatever they posted about themselves. You could do some research on them. And if you were a college student trying to figure out who all is about what, whether you want to be friends with them or Lauren and I were dating, I could see kind of who her friends were. Or if I was trying to get to know people in my own unit, who are they? Who are they friends with? Right? How can I get to know this girl better? How can I get to know other people better? How also do I want to be known? But as the years went on, and I never used this, although Lauren and I could have maybe for a couple of situations before we got married, uh, there was an option where you could select one from a dropdown, your relationship status on Facebook, single, taken, dating, engaged, married. It's complicated. (laughs) It's complicated. (laughs) And... I've seen this used in jest. I don't think I've ever seen it used seriously, but it's complicated. Relationship statuses on Facebook are interesting, shall we say. Why would you choose it's complicated? Well, because we're not quite sure what we are. You know, there was a time when Lauren and I were frenemies. And so I would say it was complicated. Are we friends? Are we enemies? I don't know. There was a time where we were friends and yet... Some people were asking, are you dating? No. And then gradually we started talking about it. Like, Well, maybe we should. Maybe we should be a couple instead of just two friends. And so if we had had Facebook back then, we could have maybe said, it's complicated. And then when we were dating and engaged to be married, when I was still trying to talk her into us getting married before we finished college, we almost broke up a couple of times and... It would have been fair. I might have used it if it had entered my mind too. It's complicated, right? But of course, it's not complicated anymore. She's my wife. I'm her husband. We are married. Nevertheless, what is the opposite of simple in our minds? In our minds, the opposite of simple is complicated or complex. We don't think simple versus wise. We think simple versus complicated. Why do you have to make things so complicated? As if that's a bad thing to recognize the complexity of a thing, as if it's your fault that it's complex just because you point out that it's complex, which is, again, a very simple thing to say in the biblical sense. But what do I do for work after all? If you don't know, I'm a systems integrator. And specifically, what that means is I'm integrating automated systems with networks and communication so that data from the field, from well sites, from transmitters and devices, from PLCs and RTUs and flow meters and controllers of various kinds can be brought back into a centralized display where That information can be analyzed and decisions can be made with the information. The system that I work in is complicated. If I say system, that is as simple as it gets. But if you ask me what the system is made up of, there are a lot of parts. And it will take me five minutes just to list the various parts. And then 10 minutes into the conversation, I'll remember I forgot some. But what I do as a systems integrator is I integrate the parts. In some sense, they are just as complicated as ever, and yet they work together, and they have to work together. And they won't work together on their own, randomly, by chance. No, they need help. But I can't help them to work together as they ought to if I don't know them and I don't understand them and I don't do anything with the knowledge and understanding of how they should work together. Now, what is the opposite of integration? I would say disintegration. And it's funny, we don't typically break that down into its components, even that word, 
Can we disintegrate the word disintegrate? What's it made up of? What are its simplest parts? Well, you could say that there's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 letters. So it's a big word, as words go. Certainly not a four-letter word, although it can lead to four-letter words. But disintegration. What is the difference between integration and disintegration? What is that prefix dis about? Well, it's Latin, and it means apart, asunder, away, utterly, or having a privation. So it's a negative thing. It's a reversing force. It's an undoing. Also, see de or un. So you could say unintegrating or deintegrating, but disintegration is the opposite of what I do. Unless, of course, I am trying to undeploy certain things or trying to disable certain things, I'm trying to remove them from the system because they're no longer in use out in the field. There's a place for that. Yes. Hey, we don't need this anymore, and it's going to clog up the works. And it's going to bog down our comms. It's going to lock up our servers. So sometimes I am a disintegrator, systems disintegrator. But all the while, the end goal is not random removal, especially if the devices are supposed to be still in service. The end goal is to make those parts that are needed work as they ought, to remove what is not necessary so that what is necessary remains. This is, again, related to the idea that we would want to be wise as opposed to simple, that we would want to be prudent as opposed to foolish, that we would want knowledge and understanding instead of only searching within ourselves and our souls. On a related note, how do we know we're doing well as a country, as a corporation, as a church, as a family, as an individual? Is technology enough to go on? We have more advanced technology than they did 15 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago. <clears throat> Therefore, <clears throat> we're doing well. If my wife has one model newer iPhone than I do, does that mean she's doing better than I am? Is that enough, right? I think another question that's related we could ask is, are we only matter? Are we only material, physical? Or does what is spiritual and mental and emotional and moral constitute a separate category or several separate categories to the material, distinct from the material, not just consequential, what is material? Are we more than lights and clockwork? Speaking of technology, does what is spiritual and moral matter also, or are we only matter? I think also too, a question in my mind is, what should we do about the use of big and unfamiliar words? We were having a conversation last night slash yesterday afternoon about using big, unfamiliar words, which I have a tendency to do, and I promise I'm not trying to be pretentious. I really am not. But what I do is what I just did for you earlier in this episode. I read the word vexation, and I think I know what the word means, but here's my computer. And just like I can search the word simple at BibleGateway.com, I also can search the word vexation. Or a little later on, I use the word disintegration. And I find myself thinking, I think I know what that means. What does it actually mean? What is the definition? So I Google dis prefix. Dictionary.com gives me an answer. And now I know. Now I'm confirmed. Maybe I had no idea whatsoever. And then I look it up and then I have it. And now that word has been integrated into my vocabulary. And are we all doing that? Or should we do that? Or should we talk in such a way that might require that of other people? Is that unkind? It might be if we're doing it just to show off, just to flex, if you will, to use the common parlance, today's vernacular, which is another word. Maybe I should correct myself. Instead of saying vernacular, I should say mother tongue, primary language, or first language. English as a second language typically means someone is from a foreign country. 
If you move here from Germany, you might know English, but you probably know English as a second language. German is your first language. If you move here from Mexico, you probably know Spanish, Mexican Spanish, as a first language, and you presumably will learn English as a second language. Some parts of Canada, if you move here from there, you may know French as your primary language or first language, and English becomes your second language. But that is to say, how would it go if someone moves here from another country and they don't know our language and we are using words and phrases that we know they will not be familiar with instead of words that we do know they will be familiar with on purpose just to confuse them? Well, that's not very nice. That's not very kind. That's not the way to go on. On the other hand, if we're using words and phrases that they're not familiar with, they might thank us. They might say, oh, what does that mean? I'm sorry. And then we realize, because it wasn't intentional, we weren't trying to confuse them. Then we realize, oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, how do I put that a different way? How do you say? <laughs> Sometimes you'll hear people from other countries who are visiting or they've moved here recently ask, uh, how do you say? How do you say? Yeah, good. Let's answer the question, right? Now, another question that I have, another related question, I think, is whether there is such a thing as being too nice. I was talking with a gentleman I know recently, very recently. I, I won't say who, but he is a very nice guy. And he told me in no uncertain terms, sometimes I am too much of a nice guy. And I appreciate his honesty. I didn't know what to do with his saying it. And I don't mean to tell you about it, even in general terms, to embarrass him, because I still don't quite know what to say about it, except to ask the question generally and to tell you why it's on my mind. Is there such a thing as being too nice? And how do we judge that? How can we judge whether we are being too nice? What does that even mean to be too nice? I think it could mean that we would sing Leonard Skinnerd by heart, and I could just about, without ever correcting the lyrics or adding to them. That could be too nice. Or it could mean that we don't ever talk like those passages from Proverbs and Psalms that I read for you. The 19 Bible results for simple. It could mean that we reject that as offensive and rude. And I don't want us to embrace it in a way that is mean-spirited, but I am suggesting, is there a tendency in us to be avoidant of these things? If so, we may be the simple. And insofar as we don't want that, maybe, just maybe, we have to be honest with ourselves. And when we're trying to figure out what to make of the plight of our culture, our society, there really won't be a better word for where we're at than simple at best. The wicked are talked about in Proverbs, of course. The fool is talked about in Proverbs. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But the simple are in a different category. They may not be the fool necessarily, but they could be. But the simple may be adjacent. The simple is just unlearned and not necessarily ignorant on purpose, unless we're talking Leonard Skinner and we don't want to be wise. At the point where not knowing turns into not wanting to know either, that's where we may be looking at a category shift from simple to fool. But simple has more to do with, I didn't know. Nobody ever told me, but thank you for telling me. And that's actually how you become wise. That's how the wise become wise. That's how the wise became who they are, is that they were given instruction. They were given correction. And they were glad for it. They were thankful for it. Someone imparted understanding. More to the point, in a biblical sense, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Psalm 119, verse 130. Or Psalm 116, verse 6. The Lord preserves the simple. 
When I was brought low, he saved me. Me, I was the simple. I was. And he preserved me in spite of myself. And depending on how you read this, Psalm 116, verse 6, it may be that being brought low is part of how he preserved me. And I talked in yesterday's episode about how actually it could be part of the judgment that we're under that so few of us think we are under judgment. We think we are doing very well. And that could be a sign that God has given us over to a reprobate mind. It would be a greater mercy if we were in judgment and we knew we were in the midst of judgment. When I was brought low, he saved me. That could mean I was brought low and then he saved me. Or it could also mean part of how he saved me was he allowed me to be brought low so that he could preserve me because I was the simple. Gracious is Yahweh and righteous. Our God is merciful, the preceding verse says. And the following verse, return, O my soul, to your rest, for Yahweh has dealt bountifully with you. I, for one, don't want to be too nice, and by that, nice in a way that is not loving. I do want to be kind, and I do want to be gentle, and I do want to be compassionate, and it is because I want to be kind and gentle and compassionate. <laughs> I, <laughs> that I say it's complicated. And my wife's and my relationship is a human relationship. We are finite, fallible creatures. By God's grace, we have one another, and that is a blessing. That is a great blessing. That's not complicated, though. We're married. She's my wife. I'm her husband. It's not complicated. Not in the way that it's intended on Facebook. But my relationship with... A lot of the other people in this country, in my spheres, it might be fair to say it's complicated. And yet, what should we do when we find ourselves in that predicament? Something to think about. Now, in closing, I've talked here recently with a few different friends of mine about Neil Postman's book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. And, of course, he is far more correct than he is mistaken or needing to be corrected in that book, Neil Postman is. And yet there's also a moderating principle captured by the saying, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. So the dose makes the poison, to use another cliche saying, but moderation in all things. I think I've been working too much, playing too little, and I'm going to (laughs) play a game this afternoon called Suzerain. And I don't know much about it, but it's free with Amazon Prime Gaming. I downloaded it. I'm going to give it a try, try and relax a little bit, listen to something serious, a video from Dr. Jordan B. Cooper, justandsinner.org, titled Solving Our Education Crisis. I'm going to listen to that while I play this game where I imagine myself a uh, petty third world dictator, I guess. I guess that's the premise of it. I was told it might be interesting and also that it is free. So I'll give it a spin, see how it is, let you know. But that's all the time I've got for this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.
You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.